Hey everyone, welcome to Pop Culture Pastor, where we look at movies, music, comics, and more from the perspective of faith. Welcome to the show, everyone. This is your self-proclaimed pop culture pastor. Uh, I'm joined today by my friend Gray Step, and we're going to be talking about the Christian music worship industry and uh, the strengths and weaknesses. And uh, Gray actually has uh, some experience in that area. So, welcome to the show, Gray. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. Uh, well, as we usually start out, we we want to do a little bit of spiritual bio. Uh, now, Gray's story today is probably going to touch on some of that, but if you want to tell us just a little bit of you know, your, your upbringing in church and and maybe a little bit of where you are now, and we'll kind of get that middle section <laughs> later on in the show. <laughs> sure. Yeah, it sounds good. Uh, so uh, I grew up in Georgia, uh, and in middle school, uh, started going to a Southern Baptist church, kind of simple, small-town Southern Baptist church. Um and uh, sang in the choir there and, and did some music there. Um, and then uh, that was kind of all the way through high school. Um, outside of high school, well, uh, that was when I joined up with uh, the band that I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, and we were uh, we were a pop Christian band and, and toured churches and uh, didn't have a home church necessarily for a while, but just uh, we were on the road and, and <laughs> at church all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then... Uh, Beyond that, I kind of had that, uh, as you do in your early 20s, uh, going through that phase of uh, letting go of kind of your childish expectations and understandings of Jesus and, uh, and kind of starting to learn and grow as an adult uh, what Jesus means to you and, and what Christianity is going to mean to you. Uh, and then uh, met my lovely wife in Nashville, uh, Shannon. I, uh, hi, Shannon. I love you. And uh, Shannon was working for uh, a Presbyterian church uh, in Nashville. And so I just jumped in and became, we became kind of a part of that family. Uh, and we were there for a long time. Uh, and I played on the worship team there and uh, ran sound for the church um, and was generally uh, plugged in on, on that side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, when Shannon left the church there uh, to go do a new job, working for her church is hard. You probably don't know that at all. <laughs> I've, uh, well, I've heard rumors. Uh, and uh, so we took a, a really some time away to just to just be ourselves and to have Sundays to ourselves. And um, we've tried out some churches since and uh, tried out some, some small groups, uh, which was something we were never really able to do while we were working at the church or while Shannon was working mm-hmm. at the church. Uh, and so that's where we are now. We, we love Jesus and, uh, and we're kind of on our own personal path, um, open to churches, but not, uh, not actively seeking out like church life right now. Yeah. Yeah. And actually like we got connected cause my wife found you on Facebook for mm-hmm. some woodworking stuff. And <laughs> you know, that's just who Anna Jane is, is she makes friends everywhere she goes. Uh, but yeah, we've really connected and we started talking about things like, you know, worship music or as we're going to talk hopefully not too much about like 90s Christian uh, alternative music yes. <laughs> I have a lot of shared interests there and so that's kind of where the idea for this episode came about 
Uh, but speaking of things you were into, uh, maybe not just Christian music, but what, what were some of the first fandoms that you had, some early pop culture interests mm. that uh, got you interested in, in that, that world? So uh, for me, and this will be a big confession for me. Okay. Uh, I don't know that I've ever told anybody this before. But, <laughs> I will uh, absolve you if necessary. <laughs> sitting in the back of Enon Baptist Church uh, with s- some fellow uh, youth group members, uh, a couple of the guys there, David and Robert, were uh, they were always drawing pictures of TIE fighters and mm. of uh, Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, had, I didn't know what they were doing, and I didn't know what they were drawing, uh, but I wanted to be one of the cool kids. And so I was like, yeah, that's really cool. Cool in parentheses. <laughs> yeah. And so actually I had never seen any of the Star Wars movies. Um, and so I asked for them for Christmas and got them and I was like, okay, I need to, I need to learn this stuff so that I can be one of the cool kids. <laughs> so, uh, Star Wars became an early, uh, an early one for me. Um, and then, uh, I was also a big gamer with my brother. We played like, mm-hmm. uh, Final Fantasy, those original Final Fantasy games, uh, Final Fantasy three on the Super Nintendo is still one of my favorites of all time. And all Zelda games, mm-hmm. uh, I know yeah. we're just had the new Zelda game come out. Yes, we'll, we'll come back to that at the end of the show, probably. <laughs> Final Fantasy is actually a series that I, I missed, and it was just not one of my things, even though I was right, growing up at the same time with the yeah Super Nintendo, early Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I it got a loved. little too complex for me. I played through, mm-hmm. I think 9 was really the last one that I played, uh, and so it's been a long, long time. But yeah. I have played back through Final Fantasy 3 or 6, depending on... Which version yes, you get? Uh, no, the numbering um, is, is complicated. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've played through that one five or six times, yeah. and it's always amazing. All right. <laughs> yeah. So you know, a lot of those kind of interests that I know we share, but as we mentioned, we're focusing today on uh, Christian music and, and worship music, uh, and and that being an industry and what that means and all the things that come with that. Uh, but before we get into to your story, we want to think kind of big picture about like. A very, very brief history, and I could probably be wrong about some of these things, so you can let me know <laughs> later, listeners, or, or Greg can correct me live. Um, but you, you think about the idea of Christian music, right? There's, I mean, this is essential from the early days, there being music, uh, singing, and, and that sort of thing is, is part of worship. Uh, but then as, you know, something being recorded, I mean, gospel music has been around for ages, the idea of people singing church songs um, and, or writing gospel music that might be used in a church. You know, people like Bill Gaither is who I'm kind of thinking of mm-hmm. back in the old days. But then, you know, as you got a little bit later, like to the 70s and the 80s, you started to get like Christian singer-songwriters. So they were writing music that wouldn't necessarily be for church, but they're they're reflecting on their own experience and their own faith journey and that eventually became uh, Christian contemporary music, or CCM, as, as mm-hmm. we call it. Right? As we're getting more into the 80s and into the 90s. And, and there, you know, the style of the music tended to be pretty similar to what you'd hear like on pop radio or like soft rock kind of stuff. And, and some of those you know, crossed over to popular audiences. So people like Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith, I think, are kind of like the pillars of, mm-hmm. <laughs> of that movement. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, you know, I... Grew up in the 80s and 90s, uh, I think both of us did, and so I remember hearing them uh, on like the real radio. Yeah, you could hear some of those songs, and even then, they could be criticized for some of their songs not being Christian enough, right? Like Baby Baby, 
I mean, that's a good song. That's just a bop. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it, it holds up. If you haven't listened to Baby Baby by Amy Grant in a while, it, it is still a good song. But like, well, that's not about Jesus. And, uh, you know, is she married to this guy that she's singing about? I don't know. Um, or like Michael W. Smith's uh, Place in This World. Do you remember that song? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, oh, that was legendary. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's very much like a... Um, Richard Marks, you know, like that mm-hmm. that whole style, like he just very much fit into that. And if you didn't know any better, it just sounds like a you know vague yeah. adult uh, contemporary kind of yeah adult contemporary. Track. Yeah. Oddly enough, I was like in like elementary school and really liking that song, and I'm like, why do I? Why am I into this song about <laughs> what's my place in this world? Like, you're ten right. years old. Who cares? <laughs> anyway, uh, so you know that develops and kind of grows from there into this whole market and you get start getting like christian radio stations did you guys listen to a lot of k-love growing up uh so yeah growing up in georgia um there was a station out in nashville that uh i remember specifically when it hit my hometown uh it was called way fm and uh it was effectively a k-love um Mm -hmm. situation but that's where that's where we found all of our christian music and so a lot of that was like that pretty radio-friendly kind of stuff. Do you have any favorites from that era, you know, that CCM sort of stuff in late 80s, early 90s? Uh, a little bit. Uh, luckily, I came into uh, I came into it a little later um, since I, I didn't really start going to church until, like, middle school. Mm-hmm. So I was... Um, uh, there, there were a few, like, uh, some, of the, some of the more raucous ones, quote-unquote, <laughs> like Petra and, and Striper uh, in those <laughs> days that were... Uh, <laughs> Uh, anything that felt rebellious, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, big fan. I, I I remember Point of Grace being a big one. My mm-hmm. sister had their CDs, and I would sneak into her room and listen to them. They're, they're <laughs> so good. Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't be couldn't be caught see, listening to Point of Grace. Not cool. Yeah. Uh, well, and you mentioned like the more rebellious ones. You know, as you get into the '90s, then you start getting like the alternative Christian music. Um, and yeah, that hit right when I was in high school too. And, you know, really getting, you know, invested in my own faith. And so part of that was like, okay, so now I'm going to start listening to, to Christian music. But not just, you know, what my parents listen to. I got to have the cool Christian music. Um, you know, so it's kind of like the similar sort of snobbery of like, well, I don't listen to what's on the radio. I listen to indie music. Like, it's the same thing, but, but for Christian teens. <laughs> uh, and so you would get like Christian ska, Christian punk, Christian hardcore bands, um, so there were even labels devoted to that, like Tooth and Nail was kind of the big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Solid State, which I think... They was, broke off a of Tooth and Nail yeah, later on. It was yeah. more, even more just hardcore kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there were some, a lot of bands that I loved there. Uh, some of them hold up, some of them don't. So what, what were some of your favorites? What, like, what stands out to you from that era in Christian music? So I was, I was really big into metal and hardcore. Okay. Um, shout out to my buddy Ashley, who uh, uh, he was my youth minister at the time. And, uh, and I remember clear as day him showing me my first Zayo album. Mm. Um, they are, uh, they're a mess of a band. <laughs> God love them. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, like that was some real heavy stuff. And we would go to shows there. Um, uh, Blindside was a big one for me. They were a Swedish, like new metal band. Um, that was really amazing. Oh, so good. Um, uh, things like, uh, well, and and, you know, some maybe not as hard stuff, but, uh, but still rebellious. I would say Steve Taylor's on that list. Uh, anybody who knows Steve Taylor's history. 
he had a prog rock band in the in the eighties called Chagall Guevara, and uh, uh, he was very uh, very heavily judged for that uh, okay. in the church. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, he's uh, if you don't know the name Steve Taylor, you know a lot of his music. You just don't know that you yeah. do. Yeah, Johnny Q. Public, Starflyer Fifty Nine, mm-hmm. even like Jennifer Knapp. Like there was some acoustic rock in there that was really good yeah. too. Well, like it your... still wasn't getting played on the radio in the same way. Even yeah, like yeah. Caveman's Call. I mean, they mm-hmm. they were kind of like borderline for me. Like I I felt like they had a little more depth to them. Yeah, and so they would sometimes be like on the Caleb sort of thing, but um, they were doing a little bit more. But yeah, speaking of like those alternative kind of bands, like Five Iron Frenzy was one I was really oh, yeah. into, and I think they they still hold up pretty well mm-hmm. uh, there was a lot of like ska this is ska, the late 90s man. It, was a... it was ska like <laughs> i feel like we i know i know like the joke is that we collectively just decided to forget that that happened and yeah. yes well we uh, decided we're all going to be into bands with trumpets and trombones uh and and then all of a sudden we're not yeah but yeah there were several like supertones really mm-hmm. don't hold up as well but that was one of like my first entries and like well, this kind of music is, is Christian music. My youth minister is playing it for me. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Not, yeah. Not same. The Insiders with a Z mm-hmm. in yeah. there, too. They had, uh, you know, the lead into our praise and worship talk. They had two praise and worship ska albums called Scalaluyah. And <laughs> I, I had one of those. I wore them out. Yeah. <laughs> and they are terrible. Yeah. I revisited them today. <laughs> um, but, you know, someone like, what I liked about some of these bands is they were actually getting a little bit uh, deeper or talking about things that, you know, you wouldn't expect, you know, more contemporary popular Christian artists to get into. I mean, like the first song in the first Five Iron Frenzy album is about like colonialism. And, you know, there was a couple of songs on that album about how, hey, America is kind of problematic in the way that it treats indigenous people and others. And that was kind of formative for me of like, OK, Christianity can be. Uh, challenging the status quo. Right? That, that kind of mm-hmm. came from that and is uh, still pretty influential on me. Um, and so there, you know, there were some quality bands in in that uh, in that scene. And you know, some of the debates that went on, you know, as we're talking about you know, what makes this music Christian was well, okay, how much are they singing about Jesus? Bands like uh, Switchfoot is, I, I think, a pretty good example. This is one of those that I can say, like, hey, I knew them before they were cool, right? Because <laughs> they had a few albums before Switchfoot, you know, went big and got played on real radio. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, their first album doesn't talk about Jesus a lot, but, you know, it really connected with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, who do you think of as, like, the, I don't know, the, the statement that was made a lot was, well, we're Christians who are in a band, but we're not a Christian band. Like, who do you think of with that? Yeah, the, those big ones for me, uh, Amberlynn. That was a that was a fun one. Great rock band. They were, I believe, they were at, they were kind of on tooth and nail right at the uh, at the beginning of their career. Uh, and you, yeah, have listed in here in the notes, Lifehouse. That was a big one in the day. And uh, Pedro the Lion. That was a wild mm. situation because he was a Christian artist and then actually turned away from the faith and then did some very anti <laughs> Christianity <laughs> music yeah. as well. Um, but he had a lot of he had a lot of followers and was very thoughtful and deep in what he mm-hmm. was talking about. So it's, you know, it's not like the music still didn't connect, but, uh, but didn't, uh, but yeah, he was just not in the faith anymore. Yeah. All right. I, MXPX was another like tooth and nail band that mm-hmm. did they like graduate from them too? Like some, some of these bands would like move on, like you said, yeah. from the Christian label to a proper label. 
Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I remember. I think they were the ones that specifically said, "Yeah, yeah, we're we're not a Christian band. We're just Christians who are in right. a band, and like that that distinction." And some of that is probably like that same sort of indie kind of rebellion of like, well, we're not like those other, you know, radio Caleb kind of bands. Well, and kind of like you mentioned with Pedro the Lion, like there's a bigger movement that's happening for some of these artists of they're questioning their Christianity in general and, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not they want to use that label for them just as a person, regardless of whether, whether they're using that label for their music. That's probably a whole separate discussion, but definitely right. one that w- would be worth having. But as we're thinking about, you know, kind of the history of all of this, as you get kind of more towards the early 2000s, uh, you see some of these artists, either artists that are already established as like CCM artists or new groups that come along that start uh, doing praise and worship music, like very explicitly that this is music that uh, you could, you know, do in church but it's still getting played on, on Christian radio. And so groups like Passion, uh, I remember getting some of their early CDs and uh, really enjoying them. And then Hillsong is, I think, kind of getting bigger at this point. Uh, what do you remember from that period where praise and worship kind of becomes like its own thing? Yeah, uh, the, the first band I remember was Sonic Flood. Uh, I think oh, yeah. their first record came out in 99. Um, and it was just wild, the idea like, wow, this this is a band, but they're just, doing praise and worship music, but it sounds like rock music. And mm-hmm. the, the big turning point for me, uh, and this happened while I was on the road with, uh, with this Christian pop band, uh, the uh, Third Day record, Offerings, came out, yeah. which was uh, from 2000. Uh, and I, we loved Third Day. Uh, I still, like, their first record is still uh, one of my favorites. Um, and it was just a great, like, kind of acoustic rocky, almost like... Yeah, a little bit Southern rock. But I remember that album coming out, and uh, and we were touring churches at the time, and uh, and everything changed overnight. It was one of those things where like that album came out, and then it defined this idea of oh, if you are a Christian pop band, then you have to do praise and worship now, mm. and uh, yeah. it became like it became expected. Especially we were playing churches, and we started getting asked. Um, like immediately, like, oh, are you guys going to do a worship set in the middle of your set? And we were like, well, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess that's a thing we have <laughs> to do that, now. Yeah. Um, and it became, yeah, it became expected. Um, that was like, that was the big turning point okay. was that third day record. I didn't realize it was like <laughs> that specific. Well, since it seems like it is so important, let's hear a little clip from uh, the song Your Love, O Lord, from the Offerings album by Third Day. and actually starts with the lead singer talking about what they're doing here. When you came here tonight, you thought you were coming to a third day show, but hopefully you're coming to so much more than that. When you come here tonight and we all gather together in the name of Jesus, we're going to have a church service here tonight, y'all. And it begins with praise to our Father. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heaven. The the story goes that somebody was chatting with Mac Powell from Third Day, and uh, they had been toying around with some praise and worship songs. And somebody challenged him, was like, "Oh, you couldn't! You know, you guys are a rock band. You couldn't put out a 
praise and worship record, yeah, and, and then they were like, all right, here it is. Yeah. I think Newsboys did one probably around oh, the yeah. same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I can't remember the exact date on that. But yeah, another, like, these are bands, right, that get established as just like pop bands, but then they transition. Um, and so, yeah, this becomes kind of a, a whole big movement. Um, and, you know, these sort of songs start getting played in churches, especially churches that you already have a band, or now there's the expectation that churches should have a band that can perform like this. Now, I'll, I'll talk later about, you know, my own experience and how we don't really fit into that. Uh, but you, you started touching on your story. So, so really, yeah, I want to hear a lot of what this was like for you, your experiences in this industry, uh, what it meant to be a, a Christian band, and what were the expectations, what were the challenges, uh, what was that like? So tell us more about uh, your career there. <laughs> sure. Uh, so just after high school, uh, I joined up with uh, an, a band that was already established uh, from a high school across town. Uh, the band, <laughs> band was called Picnic with Fish. Mm. Uh, they had already had a bit of a following. They had already put out a record um, like while they were in high school. Um, and I joined up with them after, uh, during our first year in college. Um, and, uh, you know, be, being that we were 18 year old kids, we didn't know what to sing about. And so it was just, <laughs> you sing about what you know. And mm-hmm. when you're 17 and 18, you don't know anything. Um, but we did know the church and we had been there. And so, um, there were, uh, yeah, uh, Patrick did a great, uh, Patrick Collin was our songwriter. Um, and, and singer and the charismatic voice of the band and, uh, really like, yeah, they, they established a really great presence, um, had a great sounding album. And, uh, so when I joined up, we were doing, uh, doing little runs out to, um, playing mostly churches like youth groups, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, lock-ins and parties and that sort of thing. And, uh, then, uh, like I said, when that, uh, when that third day record came out, we, uh, started introducing worship music into our sets. So that, you know, that became just a regular part of our sets, but then we wound up even doing a couple of summer camps where we would, uh, where we would lead worship for the worship services throughout the week. And then at the end of the week, we would have a concert that was our concert. Yeah, and then you get to play your music. Yeah. Then we get yeah. to play our music, but there was always this, uh, the, the expectations were real and it was, um, immediate. And if you didn't, like you had to always be keeping up with what was going on in worship music and, and playing mm. the new cool songs. Okay. Um, and, uh, and even like we would pick up, uh, I mean, it was, it feels weird to say it like this, but we would pick up kind of extra gigs on the weekends. Uh, like we might play, play a party situation, you know, a youth group party on a Saturday night, but then like lead worship for the church on Sunday morning. Mm. And so that was like an extra way to pick up, uh, uh, a few extra dollars and, <laughs> and be able to, to kind of continue, uh, on the road. Um, uh, what, what became clear in that transition, I think was, uh, so if it, it feels like it kind of went in a wave, right? So we talk about like the early days of like gospel music was hymns and hymnals. Mm-hmm. And then those kind of just being translated into more modern, um, modern sounds, uh, and then, and then you get those artists that start like kind of taking on like, okay, I am a, I'm a Christian and I'm just telling stories from my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because I'm a Christian, they happen to revolve around that. And so yeah. that, uh, becomes a part of it. Then obviously in the nineties, then we had more of the rock and roll stuff and, uh, you know, 
and ska. ska. And ska. ska. I can't forget ska. <laughs> <laughs> as much as we might want to. Exactly. Um, uh, so it was still, you know, it was still just about like telling your stories, and mm-hmm. you know, as as any good songwriting is, it it's just experiential, right? Right. Yeah. And if and if your faith is a big part of your life, it's it's going to come through. Yeah. And I think that was sometimes the, almost the critique of those bands is like. Well, if this matters to you, then why aren't you why aren't you singing about it? But you know, there's there's more than one way to talk about your faith or about being a Christian. Uh, it's not about how many times you are talking about <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and that like um, that led to a a common kind of common term in the industry um, that we uh, that we get to that I believe we're going to name this episode mm-hmm. uh, talking about Jesus per minutes. Um, <laughs> um, Especially, so when, when we saw this kind of rise and, and pressure more toward the praise and worship side of music, um, uh, then the idea of having personal stories in your music was less, uh, was less kind of accepted mm. or, or less desired, really. There just wasn't yeah. as much of a market for it. Um, and, so, uh, and so it became this weird tension where we're, uh, you know, Patrick is, is as our songwriter, you know, he's, as he's growing up, having more experiences, dealing with love and loss in his own life and kind of struggles that, um, you know, while, while Jesus is present, uh, and, and Christianity is present, like it's not the ultimate focus of maybe the topic of a particular song. Yeah. <laughs> every single thought of, yeah, everything you want to talk about. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so the idea in Nashville, uh, we had moved to Nashville at this point, I guess I should say, uh, and we're, and we're, you know, making some headway in kind of Christian music circles there. Yeah. Um, which is, is pretty big in Nashville, right? That's, like, that's I mean, the that, hub of it. It's its sure. own entity of yeah. Christian music in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Um, by the time Patrick wrote, uh, and then we recorded our, our, what was our, what would be our third album, uh, called Turnaround. A lot of the songs in it just weren't, you know, there. It wasn't that God wasn't there. It was just that the songs weren't necessarily focused mm-hmm. uh, on Jesus. And um, boy, it was it, it felt immediate. Like we stopped being able to book churches. We would reach out to churches and send them, you know, you know, kind of press kit with our album and and, and everything uh, to churches. And we would typically, you know, we could do a couple weeks run, two or three weeks run with four or five different churches and. Um, uh, and then we were just getting crickets, um, <laughs> because nobody, uh, I, I mean, the only thing we could figure really is that nobody wanted that because every, if it wasn't praise and worship music and it yeah. wasn't, didn't have the Jesus per minutes mm-hmm. in there, not enough JPMs, not enough JPMs, uh, then you couldn't, uh, you couldn't sell it. Um, and, and I mean that that's in its own conversation, I guess, around the idea of selling. Well, yeah, I mean that. I think that is something worth worth getting into, and you know, I don't know how successful you were, but you know, yeah. What does it mean to be doing praise for profit? What are the complications of making worship into a business? Like, what did you experience? And I don't know what questions do you have as you look at like the bigger trend of the praise and worship industry. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely complicated, and it uh, I w- I would say. Uh, it sounds dramatic, but I, but I think it's accurate to say that it really broke my relationship to worship music. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, as, as a musician, I'm somebody who's, who naturally feels music very deeply and it's very important to me. 
and uh, and as such, like worship music was really big um, because it spoke to my spoke to where my heart was. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm at a point where, I, and I still love playing. Uh, I, I loved playing uh, at our church in Nashville, um, and uh, just being a part of that crew was nice. Um, uh, but the music itself didn't touch me in the same way. Yeah, um, it was it was broken mm-hmm. a bit. Um, with a lot of things when it's just your job, but it's a job that like is supposed to be connected to what you're most passionate about and care about. It's yeah, it gets complicated. I mean, like I even feel some of that in on just the ministry side, you know, of like, okay, well I'm also, you know, this is my job. I get paid to do ministry. And I got into that because I care deeply about, about my faith and about helping others in their faith journey. But yeah, when, there are times when it's like, eh, I don't really feel like doing this either, but well, I, I gotta, you know, got bills to pay. And so I'm just gonna do the work. Uh, but yeah, if, to me, it feels like when it's praise and worship, that's, that's even deeper, right? Like, that's supposed to come from the soul even more than just like, you know, I can teach a class and not be, uh, it's not gonna come from my soul in the same way necessarily. Uh, and so there's, right, this is a bigger tension like with anything related to faith or, or things that you hold deeply of, uh, yeah, when it's for profit, when it's for a job, uh, how do you maintain that, that feeling? And yeah, it can kind of, it can break you, like, like you said, and you know, you can hear plenty of stories of when it is a business, how cutthroat, yeah, I mean, business is not known for being very Christ-like in general. Um, and so, I mean, like, did you see any tensions? Where did you see, like, well, okay, this is, it's all supposed to be centered around Jesus, but people aren't acting uh, very Jesus-y in the way that they're trying to sell things. Oh, yes. It was very, um, uh, yeah, v- very cutthroat um, and a lot of backstabbing going on. I went and played bass for uh, for a guy. He was a Christian artist. We were playing churches. Um, he was kind of a, uh, kind of a country artist, um, and... Uh, I was on the road with him for two or three months, um, and he had confided in me that he uh, he struggled struggled. I'm going to say in air quotes with homosexuality, okay. um, and uh, it was very obvious to all of us that he was that he was gay. Um, but he had a wife, two kids, um, and was um, you know he identified it as something that he struggled with, and it was weird having to hide that, and like it had to be very you know. It, it was just not okay to talk about, mm. uh, in the least. Um, I think he, uh, I think he did eventually come out and, uh, and came out like as a, as a Christian homosexual songwriter. Well, and, uh, and even we've found out recently, like, uh, Jennifer Knapp came mm. out, um, and she's still doing music and is like, Hey, I'm still a Christian. And I'm still here. Like I'm still the same person. Probably not getting played on the same radio stations that, that she used to. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those sorts of tensions of like, uh, you know, if you are in a position of of leading someone in worship, that feels a lot different than like, hey, you're a person who wrote this song, who mm-hmm. who wrote songs, and you're just telling your story. Yeah. It's like there's a different responsibility there mm-hmm. when you are leading the worship of a group of people, um, and uh, the pressures there are pretty pretty intense, um, mm-hmm. and. Um, I mean, I say pretty intense. It <laughs> makes it feel like it's it's dark and gloomy. It's <laughs> it's all and it's all done in love. 
Um, I, I, I genuinely think that people like want to want to lead people in a worshipful experience and like mm-hmm. that, you know, their heart's in the right place there. Right. That's, yeah, that's what and, gets people into it. It's, it's, it's hard to maintain that though. Right? right. And then, yeah, like, like we were saying, when it becomes your job, uh, that is hard. And yeah, the standard you get held to, not just of like, I got to feel worshipful and, and all these sort of things, but I like the tension you name there of, you know, when this is a recording artist, I expect them to just really be honest, and I want to know what's really going on in their lives and the questions they have. That's not what you want from a worship leader. Right. right? You want them to get up there and say how great everything is and, you know, present this very particular image. Uh, And so it's, yeah, I could see how being that constricted uh, would take its toll uh, in a lot of different ways, no matter what you're going through or, you know, what you're really feeling. And just, yeah, this tension between being a performing artist and also being a, a worship leader. You mentioned some weekends you would perform your concert on Saturday and then do worship on Sunday. Like, what was that like going from one to the other? Was it really the same or was there some ways it felt different? It definitely felt different. You nailed it there. Like, you felt like you could be honest when you were just doing your music um, and it was something that you were feeling. Um, and then on Sunday morning, you, you put your smile on and you, you know, even if you weren't feeling it and you knew where in the set, uh, where, where the Holy Spirit was going to take hold (laughs) and where we were going to, okay, like here, we're going to go quiet and we're going to have a little keyboard pad and Patrick's going to pray. And then we're Mm going to, you know, this is the moment where we're really feeling the spirit and it's all planned out and scripted. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that it, that those things can't be powerful, but it, uh, it, (laughs) it feels prescribed and weird. I mean, if you're a listener to the show, you know the way that I usually end is my my altar call, which is yeah. very much like like that's what I'm doing. You know, is playing on that, even though I'm not from a tradition that that does uh, that sort of altar call. I mean, I do that because it's kind of a joke. Okay, well, this is this is the sound. This is how it sounds. Like this is how you're supposed to talk as a leader. This is the kind of music that plays. If you're being generous, it's that you want to give people the opportunity to respond and like create that moment on on the negative side it's being manipulative and you know i'm not gonna say that we can always know which it is but it can definitely be the the negative side a lot of times and i'm sure you you saw that happening exactly i Uh, do love that eight-bit hymnal though (laughs) yeah hymns are great uh whatever the style um you know another side of this i think about is maybe the effect that this the praise and worship industry had on on the church, you know, because these songs that recording artists were doing uh, eventually started working their way into to churches to be done on uh, on Sunday morning or other times. And how, you know, if, so if they're coming from artists who are performing and, you know, doing these at concerts, what effect do you see that having on, you know, when when you're a church that's coming together to, to do a worship service? Uh, and that performance side of it, where do you see it influencing things? The big one for me that I notice, like, um, is the self-deprecation um, method, and maybe it's uh, you know the Southern Baptist in me, uh, which is uh, <laughs> that's a um, that's a lot of guilt-based faith, um, and and so we find like in a lot of this worship music, like, is is in this self-deprecating 
um, manner that could like really push you in some negative headspace, especially if you're prone to that already. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where you should be in a, in a place of genuine appreciation and, and love and being surrounded by love, you wound up, you wind up kind of expressing that in a way that is like, I'm a piece of garbage. Mm-hmm. Like, please love me still. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, totally unworthy. Yeah. And, uh, that, especially uh, like when I revisit, some of these older songs now, like it's just like, man, like this is what I was filling my head with was mm-hmm. a lot of self deprecating yeah. um, shame and shame. Guilt. Yeah. 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 And so it, it's like, you're performing that, but then that, that gets, uh, it gets into the way you think about yourself. That's why I think this is an important conversation because like worship is formative, all aspects of it. But I think we're music, especially, uh, now there's a, a phrase, I mean, it goes back to Latin, so it's been around for a while, uh, lex orandi, lex credendi, which means that uh, what is prayed or how people worship is what people believe. So I, I know this reality, unfortunately, I've been a preacher, but I know that like the music, the hymns, that theology is probably going to stick a lot harder than you know, what somebody says to you. Right? And so the church has known for a long time that how we worship, uh, what we say in our songs, is going to uh, very deeply connect with what people believe. Yeah. Uh, if it rhymes, it's true. That's <laughs> right, yeah. So I just need more rhyming in, in the sermons. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, like when there's bad theology in, in worship music, you know, like what you just mentioned, that that sticks deeper. I mean, we know this, right? Think about the songs from the nineties that you still know all the words from. Um, whereas, you know, you can't quote anything the preacher said last Sunday, you know, it's, it's just the nature of of how it works. So we want to think about, you know, in these sorts of songs that kind of became popular in this time period, what is the theology underlying it? Right. So you mentioned this, like, yeah, you're just garbage. You can't do anything right. But luckily, God still loves you. It is very much like a fundamentalist evangelical approach to things, and I mean, I could get into all the theology of yeah, where where that comes from, uh, but I'll hold off for today. The, the, yeah, that's not the only way. It's really not the right way to think about who we are. But even just even if it's not like self-deprecating, like how self-centered this kind of music can be, you know, if you compare like older hymns to songs that started coming out in the 90s. And this includes like the, we would call them like devotional sort of songs that we would sing at church or really more like in youth group, how much it started to move towards like talking about yourself. Like I, here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, right? That, who are we talking about? Well, yeah, we're talking about ourselves. And yeah, it is, again, if you're being generous, it's trying to, focus on getting ourselves, getting our minds and hearts into the right space, but how much it's really about us, and church is about my personal faith journey with Jesus. Okay, what is, where is that coming from? You know, what is forming that kind of song, and then how are those songs forming us? It's not surprising that uh, an individualistic, self-centered kind of culture would uh, start producing worship songs that, that have a little bit of that in them as well. What do you see as some of the underlying theology in the that popular worship music that 
started to come out then or even that, that you see now if you're still paying attention to that world? Oh, it's been a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do. Uh, I'll take it all the way back to, uh, to Amy Grant and Baby Baby with this like there, there's this sort of odd thing that can happen where you're attempting to make something that could appeal to broad audiences or be your worship song. And it, uh, and it creates this odd Jesus is my boyfriend (laughs) sort of thing where it's like, wait, are we talking about a romantic relationship or Jesus or is it somehow both? I don't know what's happening here. Yeah. And that's maybe why some of those songs kind of blew up. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you didn't know any better, uh, yeah, I was talking with a former minister earlier about like Skillet and some of their songs and, that they were talking with some other friend uh, about this band that he really liked. And they were like, well, you know, they're Christian, right? He's like, no, they're not. And then they started looking through the lyrics like, no, that's, that's about God. But like, it's, it's vague enough that it's just like, yeah, I just want to know you. I want to love you better. It, it could work in, in both ways. And like, if you're being negative, it's like, oh, they're being vague so they can, you know, appeal to both markets. Sure. But, <laughs> uh, you know, if you wanted to go in, like, a more mystical direction, well, are those things really that different, right? Like, Song of Songs is the biblical example of, well, this is about, in that case, it's it's reversed, where it's really about, you know, human relationships, but uh, it gets focused on a lot as, like, the divine relationship and how, you know, the love in both cases uh, it, it overlaps more than than sometimes what we think, but I don't think that most worship music is trying to do yeah. <laughs> go that deep or <laughs> mystical and contemplative. Uh, it's just it's just being vague. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, Lifehouse is a big one for that mm-hmm. too. That yeah. was falling even more in love with you, and you know, right. it's just like, yeah, that's what is what are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah, right. You can play that at your wedding; it would be fine. Yep. Um, but I'm sure there were bands that were playing that in churches too. Yeah, just the idea of like trying to be neutral or vague about your theology, that, that kind of marks a lot of this praise and worship music in my mind. Again, comparing to like older hymns where it feels like they're really saying something to songs where you're just repeating you know, how great God is over and over. Like there's a place for that. There are psalms that are very repetitive. I know all this. Uh, but the idea of like, well, we don't want to say anything too specific about uh, our particular theological stance, because then it won't, you know, be as universal for every single church. Right. Um, how you know that's that's not as helpful to do something you know vague or neutral, and you can't really be neutral anyway, right? So there's going to be theology that comes out even if you're not really trying to, and you know, like you mentioned, the the self-deprecation or even the self-hatred, right? Th- that kind of filters its way in, even though that comes from a very specific. Uh, theological tradition of, you know, penal substitutionary atonement and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's almost like, no, you take a stance, say something, have a have a particular view, but that that doesn't work when you're trying to make these things that can sell and play in, in every single place. And so, you know, kind of along those lines, I don't know, what do you, what do you think happens when like certain brands uh, of worship music become dominant? when it's really just coming from one place or one voice. You know, that, that really is, uh, I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but that really could create some, some problematic things. Uh, especially when you think about like how widespread these things are like Hillsong, uh, uh, for example, is just so massive. And, you know, as it happens with most 
man-made institutions of any size, like you're going to wind up with some corruption there and mm-hmm. it's going to uh, get tainted in some way. And like, uh, like you said earlier, like you wind up holding on to the music. Like the music is what winds up sticking with you more so mm-hmm. than the words of your pastor. So then you're, you know, reliant on a 17 year old kid who, who doesn't know anything about the world yet. And is just, you know, singing best he can about Jesus, like about what little he understands about him. But then like that, if that becomes your, you know, dominant, uh, resource for, uh, for learning about who God is, then like that, man, that's really problematic. <laughs> yeah. It, right. When it's just one point of view and, and I mean, this is not the case just in music of like, if you're not exposed to other views of God, the way that other people think about God, even just like historically, the way that people have talked about God, uh, you start to think that like this, this very narrow way that we talk about things or sing about things is the only way. And you don't see how much more there is, but yeah, especially in, in this area when it's like Hillsong, not, not to pick on one, but when they have so much influence, they're like, well, everybody's doing their music because they do the best. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's a massive reach. Yeah. And we're not saying that their stuff is bad or has bad theology necessarily. I, I don't pay a lot of attention to it, honestly. It's just the, the, what can happen when it's, everything is coming from one place, and especially if all the people look a certain way mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or have certain assumptions, right? We want the variety. We want the diversity. I think that, that adds so much to worship. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways that it could probably be more diverse and we could pay more attention to that. But uh, for one thing, I at least want to think about, like, that historical diversity. And, you know, let's hear it for, for singing hymns. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to advocate for that a little bit. Now, I mentioned, and, and I know this has come up on the show multiple times, uh, you know, I'm from the Church of Christ. And in our tradition, uh, we are a cappella in our, our church music. So there's no instruments. It is uh, four-part harmony. Uh, that's one of those distinctive things that, well, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode about, you know, being fundamentalist. Well, this is how we know we are the, the right church because we do our music this way and everybody <laughs> else does it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not how I feel about it. But I think there are some, some strengths to this. Um, and for one thing, we kind of miss out on a lot of this praise and worship movement for in, in some ways, right? Just because these songs are written to be performed by a band. Uh, and so we end up, you know, not doing them quite as much. You do actually find uh, some churches that'll do acapella versions of, of like praise and worship style songs. I don't know if you've heard any of <laughs> I <have> these. Not. <laughs> no, uh, let me, let me play a little bit of, of one of these. Uh, Oceans, I think is like still kind of one of the standard big praise and worship songs. Um, and so here's a here's an acapella version of of oceans. All right, so that was oceans. That was performed by Praise and Harmony, which is a group that like does music for churches to learn songs. Like, I don't even know this song that well, but I just know that that is one of the big praise and worship songs of the last, you know, 10 years. It gets performed every Sunday somewhere. 
And that was a decent version of it. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. And when you have professionals, like a choir that's really talented, doing all the harmonies, it works really well. But like in a 50-person church, yeah. that doesn't work because, <laughs> because that song is not written to be performed a cappella. So you know, aside from some pretty big Churches of Christ that have a praise team, uh, like a, that's, that's our term for like a small choir. Mm-hmm. We don't like to use the word choir generally. Uh, you, you can't really pull off those sort of songs. It, like the rhythm doesn't work because you don't have the instruments to make it work. So you know, I, I mentioned all this just to say my own experience with it is, has not been exactly the same, that we weren't going to like hear all these Hillsong songs and then immediately play them in our mm-hmm. churches because that just, that just wasn't our thing. And you know, for all the weirdness of it and problematic theology that went into why this is the only right way to do it. I do still appreciate that, you know, doing songs this way, it meant that we had to all participate. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, that's one of the other dangers or issues that comes with the, the praise and worship industry and the move to like, well, we've got to have a really good band that can do it as well as, as this group does is in you know, the people in the church are just an audience watching a performance instead of a congregation, a, a body that is participating and worshiping together. And, you know, that still happens. You still have people who don't sing that just, just sit there and listen. Sure. I, I think this is a, an important move that churches could make to figure out how can we make this something that we participate in, not just something that, that we observe or that is that is handed to us. Where did you see any of this, like, tension with it being a performance when it's meant to be corporate worship. It's yeah, it was really big, especially, uh, especially when we talk about churches in Nashville, um, because there uh, is such a, an absurd amount of musicians and really talented musicians in Nashville. Um, uh, a lot of worship perform, well, worship performers. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah. A lot of folks on worship <laughs> teams uh, are actually getting paid. Which uh, I uh, the the church that uh, that Shannon and I were at uh, West End, uh, we did not pay our performers, uh, and so I wasn't uh, paid for for being on the worship team. And honestly, I would have felt weird mm-hmm. if I did. And uh, that's not to say there isn't a rigorous tryout process and no. and situations where people are told you are not good enough to <laughs> to, to praise to Jesus. praise Jesus <laughs> in our church, um, which uh, feels very odd. Uh, little pedantic things like we tried not to refer to uh, our stage where we were performing. We would not refer to it as a stage or performance. Mm-hmm. Like it was like we weren't performing, we were leading. Mm-hmm. And that like that making sure that terminology was hitting the right place. Right. It's, you know, you're never going to get rid of the ego, mm-hmm. uh, especially in Nashville. Uh, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to not have the ego there. Uh, but yeah, you definitely saw that conflict there of like really pulling hard of like, okay, we can't do all this and having lighting cues for, you know, quote unquote, when the spirit hits and things mm-hmm. like that. Like, it's like, oh, this feels odd. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's one of those areas like, well, I'm glad that for the most part uh, in my tradition, we've avoided that. You know, some of it's just like by circumstance. And there, you know, there's still ego with some of the like uh, worship leaders, even in the acapella tradition, right? These these things are not unavoidable. These are all common tensions that I think we have to deal with of of 
trying to be authentic in our worship and and true about what we what we value and what we care about. Uh, but you know, yeah, if people are going to do this as their job, um, where that comes in and how that affects things, to just always always be aware of the way that you know that tension is there. Uh, your motivations may not always be as pure as you think, so are you willing to, to question them? You know, we're really just talking about what has happened. You know, I appreciate you sharing your story, and, you know, as we think about this as an industry, yeah, there are a lot of dangers that come with that, but at its core, people want to express the love they have for, for God and want to help other people in that journey, and we do want to appreciate that. But we also have to acknowledge that good intentions, you know, don't always lead in the best direction. And when it becomes a business, when you're measuring people's faith and Jesus per minutes, um, <laughs> maybe sometimes something gets gets lost and people aren't showing that authentic heart for Jesus, uh, whether they're saying his name or not. You know, we talk about a lot on this show, the idea of like the sacred and secular divide and how that's really not a helpful thing. It's not about how much you're mentioning God or Jesus in either your songs or just in everyday life, but, but how is it coming out in the way that you live? And that's going to affect everything, those relationships, the, uh, the questions, the struggles that you have. So can we see where Christ is in all of those things? Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, that is... I think that's what God is looking for, and I and I hope that's what we're able to to express and and what we do and how we live. But again, thanks for sharing your story about about all of that and the insight. Absolutely, uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, and now you mentioned your your music. Did you want to uh, plug a little bit about that? Sure. I I just wanted to throw this out there. So uh, Patrick, the uh, guy I mentioned that we were in Picnic with Fish that then later transitioned into Waiting for December. Don't look up Waiting for December. Some actually other Christian like hard rock band took that name. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I did want to throw out there, um, we actually did wind up doing a really incredible album. It turned 15 this year. Oh, uh, but uh, thanks. Uh, uh, Ramblin' Woman is the name of the album. It's Patrick Collum and the Law. It's on uh, your Spotify's and your Apple Music's and whatnots. Um, but uh, it's it's really fun. Take a listen. I, I still love that album. It's my baby. I produced it and engineered it and mixed it and played bass and sang harmonies and all the things. Awesome. Yes, Gray is like a trained audio engineer, and so he's after this, he's probably going to help me improve the podcast a lot. So if it sounds <laughs> a lot better next week, you know who to thank. Uh, but yeah, check that out. I'll put a link in, in the show notes so you can listen to uh, Patrick Collum and the Law, Ramblin' Woman. Well, speaking of things to recommend, at this point in the show, we usually do our pop culture consolations and desolations, where we talk about uh, something in the pop culture world that's been life-giving and maybe something that hasn't been as life-giving. So uh, what's been a consolation for you this week, Gray? Oh, man. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited for this question. Uh, so for me, this is uh, going to be a bit of a deep dive, but uh, uh, are you familiar with the artist uh, The Tallest Man on Earth? Yes, a little bit. Yeah, he's a, a Swedish performer, um, uh, kind of folk guy. Um, and during the pandemic, uh, he um, he did a show out uh, at an old red barn. <laughs> and uh, a buddy of his uh, filmed it and kind of made like a documentary. It's like a faux nature documentary where he's like observing uh, Christian. Uh, but then 
uh, also performing this show. Um, and it, it blows my mind. It was so amazing. It was one of those, you know, pay 10 bucks to watch it online, uh, mm-hmm. but it is available on YouTube now. Um, and it's, uh, it's amazing. I've been listening to it kind of nonstop and, uh, <laughs> I actually pulled the audio off of YouTube and broke it out into individual tracks <laughs> so I could listen to it on my phone without having to pull up nice. the YouTube video. Um, so highly recommend that it's called, uh, it's called the little red barn show, uh, from the tallest man on earth. All right. Thanks. I will, I will definitely check. I haven't listened to that. I've listened to some of his music, so I will check that out. Well, my biggest consolation is uh, probably not too big of a surprise. I think we already mentioned it, but the new Legend of Zelda game, yes. Tears of the Kingdom, came out on Friday. Uh, I, I had had it pre-ordered, or really my son had it pre-ordered for his birthday. Uh, but I was watching out the window all day for the delivery truck so that uh, I could start playing. And, uh, man, it's, I mean, I've, Zelda, Legend of Zelda has been one of my favorite series of, of uh, my whole gaming life. And so far, I've, I've loved it. Uh, it's very much obviously a sequel to Breath of the Wild. And so there's a lot of mechanics that do feel similar, uh, just in terms of the, of the way it works. So there's some ways in which it's like, okay, this isn't as fresh as what Breath of the Wild was when it mm-hmm. came out. But there is still so many new mechanics and new things to explore. And I mean, I'm just barely getting started uh, and already loving it. And you know, I've already had some nights where I've stayed up too late and anticipate many more in the future. <laughs> and you know, Worthwhile. It, yes. Uh, and one of the things that is different that they've added is you can craft a lot more things, like basically just stick things together. And like just this morning, I was looking at little like clips on, on Twitter of crazy things that people have built already, like a Trojan horse or uh, a tank or an wow. orbital laser. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not at that point yet, but I look forward to spending a lot of time with Tears of the Kingdom. All right, well, it doesn't seem like either of us have a desolation today. I, you know, I, I'm not going to make anyone find something to complain about, and <laughs> if neither of us do, then I guess that's good. We're not wasting our time with any pop culture that uh, we don't really appreciate. All right, well, thanks again for being on the show, Gray. Absolutely. As, uh, Really interesting conversation, and I love hearing your story. Uh, So we will see you next time. All right, thanks for having me. Well, I know we already talked about it, but it is time to get serious. We talked today about how people's faith can't be measured in how much they talk explicitly about Jesus in their music, that faith is bigger than that. But I'm not Jesus, and I do care about how much you talk about pop culture pastor. How much are you telling your friends? I hope that you don't just think of yourself as a person who happens to listen to this podcast, but that you identify yourself, you find your identity as a pop culture pastor listener. Don't be ashamed. Spread the word. Write us a review. Share on social media. Jesus may not need the attention, but I certainly do. Pop Culture Pastor is produced by me. Thanks again to Gray Step for being on the show today. As you mentioned, you can check out his, some of the music that he did back in his uh, Christian pop music days. Our theme music is Be Thou My Vision from the 8-Bit Hymnal by Mr. Tyler Larson. It comes out every other Thursday on your preferred podcast platform. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Pop Culture Pastor for more. You are now dismissed. Go in peace.